Well, Joan Osborne saying, what if God were one of us? Just a slob like one of us. Well, that is what the, the incarnation is all about. Let me encourage you, if you have a Bible with you this morning or an electronic device with your Bible on it, open your Bible or your app to Philippians chapter 2. And uh, we're going to continue on in the passage that Pastor Steve started last weekend. We're going to, um, he started in verse 5, we're going to take it down through verse 11, Philippians chapter 2. You may also want to uh, reach inside your celebration folder and pull out these message notes. It has the passages on here as well, and also some white space and some blanks that you can fill in if uh, you'd like to do so. But we want to continue on in this passage, and let's start where we started last week, Philippians chapter 2, starting in verse 5 where it says this, In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage, but rather he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant. And then continuing on to the section that we want to focus on today, Paul goes on, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. And therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Well, this morning we want to focus in on the humanity of Jesus. That Jesus was 100% God, as we talked about last weekend, and he was also 100% human. Now, I'm not sure how that arithmetic all works out, but I do know it's what the Bible tells us is the fact. That Jesus did not stop being divine, but he did lay aside all the aspects of his divinity. That's what it talks about in verse 6 and 7 of this passage. That he did not consider his divinity, his, all the traits of being God, as something to be grasped, as it says in one version, as something to be clung to is something to be selfishly held on to, but instead he laid it aside. He took on human nature, human limitations. That meant that as an infant he was helpless and all the helplessness that came with being human, completely dependent upon others. That as he grew up, he had to learn things. And just, just even the aspect of that kinda is kind of tricky, trying to get your mind wrapped around that. The, the infinite, all-knowing God had to learn how to lace up his sandals. He didn't just know. He had to be taught those simple elementary things. He had to be taught basic arithmetic. He didn't just know because he was God. He had laid aside that knowledge. He had to be taught those things. He was a carpenter, 
And so he had to be taught how to line up a board so that he could get a clean cut. He had to have someone teach him those things. He had to learn those things for himself and everything else that came with growing up human. But I think the important thing that this passage teaches us is that Jesus, though he never ceased to be God, became 100% human. You see, the incarnation is not about a man becoming God. That's what some religions would try to teach us or tell us they believe. But the incarnation is just the opposite of that, that God became a man, totally and completely for us. And I think it's important that we understand this because, you know, sometimes I think we can kind of think about Jesus like we do Superman. You know Superman. He sometimes dressed up and he pretended to be Clark Kent. You know, he had that really clever disguise, that pair of glasses. <laughs> but he pretended to be human, Clark Kent. But we knew underneath it, he was always really Superman. He was just sort of acting like he was human. But that isn't the case with Jesus. That Jesus really did take on limitations. That Jesus really did become helpless. That he took on feelings and temptations and sufferings and discouragements and everything else that it means to be human. And again, just the complexity of, of what was going on there. I, I think the lyrics from Mark Lowry's Christmas song, Mary Did You Know, kind of encapsulates the dichotomy of what's happening here. Mark Lowry sings, Mary, did you know that your baby boy is the Lord of all creation? Did you know that your baby boy would one day rule the nations? Mary, did you know that your baby boy is heaven's perfect lamb and this sleeping child that you're holding? is the great I am. Kind of sums it all up, doesn't it? But Jesus took on the helplessness of a newborn baby. That here he is, the creator God of the universe, and yet he'll starve to death if his mother doesn't breastfeed him. That he's the most high God, and yet he'll suffer the effects of a rash if someone doesn't change his diaper. Jesus took on all of those limitations. And I think here's what this passage, Philippians chapter 2, the end of verse 7 through verse 11, it teaches us this. It teaches us Jesus's humanity. It says at the end of verse 7, being made in human likeness. It teaches us his ordinary appearance. Verse 8 says, um, and being found in appearance as a man. It teaches us his humble obedience. It continues on in verse 8 that he humbled himself. It teaches us his voluntary sacrifice. Verse 8 continues, by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. It shows us 
his glorious exaltation. Verse 9 says, Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him a name that is above every name. And it shows us his kingly rule and reign. Verse 10 and 11 says that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That Jesus is king now, but one day his reign will be everywhere, universal, so that every knee will bow and every mouth will acknowledge that he truly is the king of kings. But prior to that, Jesus, at his incarnation, took on being human in everything that being human means. And so as I reflected on this, as I prepared for this, I really thought of two questions. That's what I want to deal with today. Question number one is just this. What exactly does it mean that Jesus was 100% human? And then second, question number two is, well, why does it matter? So that's what we're going to talk about this morning. Question number one, then, is this. What exactly does it mean that Jesus was fully human? What does that mean? Well, let me give you a few things. Here's the first one. It's just this. That Jesus was a normal guy. That Jesus looked very normal. Isaiah chapter 53, verse 2, speaking of the coming Messiah, says this, He grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. Jesus just looked like a normal, regular guy. You didn't see him and say, there's God right there, look at that guy. No, he was a typical-looking Middle Eastern Jewish man. He wasn't fair, a fair-skinned person like we often see pictured for us. He probably wasn't anything like the drag queen-looking guy with lots of product in his long, flowing hair that we see in pictures. His skin was probably closer to brown or black than it was to white. He was a carpenter, so that meant he was a manual laborer, so he was likely strong. He walked a lot. You see that in the New Testament. You know, he didn't go from here to there in his brand new shiny Cadillac, right? He had to walk, so he was likely very fit. The Bible tells us that he had a beard because it's prophesied in the Old Testament that at his crucifixion it was ripped from his face, and so we know that he had a beard. But really what we know is that Jesus was just an average-looking guy of his day. He was a normal guy. But not only that, being human meant this, that Jesus lived a very normal life. Luke chapter 2, verse 52 says this, And Jesus grew, you may want to circle that word, He grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. Jesus had to grow up. He had to learn things. He had to develop. He, he, he gained height and weight and, and personality and all of those other things just like any other boy would have in his day. And Jesus had to learn 
he had to develop just like any other boy in his day. That means he experienced puberty and his voice lowering. He had a mom. He obeyed his parents. He had brothers and sisters. He got hungry. He got thirsty. He got tired. He got stressed out on occasion. He experienced frustration with the people around him. The Bible tells us that at times he was astonished that he came upon things that surprised him that he wasn't expecting. He had friends, both male and female. In fact, Jesus, I think, gives us an excellent example of what it's like to be able to have friends both of your sex and of the other sex without it being sexual or being strange or weird or anything like that. Jesus had lots of friends, male and female. He appeared to be a fun guy to hang around because he was invited to a lot of parties, right? I mean, you don't invite people to parties that aren't fun, but Jesus was constantly being invited to a lot of parties. But I think it's important that we understand all of this because it's very easy for us to have kind of this stilted view of Jesus as some person who's sort of nothing like us. You know, because he was God and, and, and we're people. And, and so even though we read about Jesus living a life that seems pretty normal, especially before he went into public ministry, although Jesus was doing all that, he was, he was really, it's, it's just easy to think that way. In fact, you, you kind of get that, for, you know, kind of like he was some sort of freak. You know, you see those pictures, and he's always got that big halo over his head. I mean, you do realize he didn't walk around with a big halo over his head. That's just the way the artist was trying to picture for us that that's where Jesus is in the picture. You know, I always laugh when I, when I sing that, uh, the, the carol about a way and a manger, and it says... You know, there's the little Lord Jesus, no crying he makes. You know, like, well, of course he's God, he wouldn't cry. But the truth is, Jesus did cry, and he pooped his diaper, and he got fussy, and he did anything that any other little baby does or would do. He lived a very normal life. And then the third thing, just the aspect about Jesus, what does it really mean that he was human, is this, that he was tempted. That Jesus wasn't just play-acting when he walked through those difficulties and those temptations that were set before him. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15 says this, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, and yet he did not sin. That Jesus, our high priest, faced very real temptations just like us, though he did not give in to those temptations. He was tempted. Regular God. Back when I was a youth pastor, we... Um, we had a basketball team at one time, and we just played in a recreation league, and it was, it was just our youth workers playing against other people. But one of our youth workers at that time was a guy by the name of Terry Burris, and some of you might remember Terry. Terry played basketball at Ohio State. 
Now, we were all much younger then, but, you know, this was post-college days. And, but here's what I kind of picked up. You know, so there's Terry, and then there's the rest of us yahoos. And we would play all manner of levels of teams. And I noticed that when we played um, just kind of average teams, Terry would kind of play average, and we would win. And sometimes we would play much better teams, and Terry would ratchet it up a little bit, and we would win, you know? And then sometimes we would play really, really good teams, and Terry would play even better, and we would win, see? He kind of, what I realized pretty quick is most of the time when we were just playing average people out there, Terry just sort of kind of pretended to struggle. But underneath it all, he really could play as good as he wanted to, see? But that is not how it was with Jesus. Jesus wasn't just pretending when he walked on this earth. He really did struggle. He really did face temptation. In fact, I would encourage you to let your imagination kind of think through some of this aspect of um, how it was for Jesus even beyond what you read in your Bibles. I mean, there's a lot of stories that we read in the Bible of Jesus being tempted, but, but even beyond that. You know, Jesus was, uh, was very popular. He was well-liked. I have to believe the temptation existed for him at times to become prideful to take that upon himself, like, look at me, aren't I something? He faced that temptation. That Jesus was very much a crowd favorite. I have to believe that people offered him money, or favors, or privileged, or things that at time that he could have easily stepped into and take, took undue things on himself, that he faced those temptations. I have to believe that um, there were women who sought Jesus out to get too close to him. And I have to believe the temptation was there to, 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 to think improper thoughts or to lust, that he faced those temptations as well. Jesus faced very real temptations, just like all of us face. Now, I think it's important at this juncture that, that, that we make sure that we understand that there is a difference between temptation and sin. You get that, right? It says in that verse that we just read, Hebrews chapter 4, 15, that Jesus was tempted, but he did not sin. There's a difference between the temptation and sin. You see, there's nothing wrong with experiencing emotions. There's nothing wrong with getting frustrated. There's nothing uh, wrong about having feelings of anger or having Thoughts and ideas come into your mind to do things that you know God would not be pleased with you doing. Those are temptations. But sin is when we take it to the next step. When we respond to those feelings. When we act on those thoughts. When we put ourselves on the throne as the one we obey. You know, I think one of the lies of our day that we very easily allow ourselves to believe is just this lie. I just couldn't help myself. 
as though the temptation automatically meant the giving in to that temptation and choosing to sin. But you see, because we are image bearers, one of the ways that we are like God is that we are volitional beings. We have the ability to choose. And Jesus shows us that we can face temptations and choose not to sin. Because he faced all manner of temptations, everything that we could ever face and beyond, and did not sin. He's our example of that. In fact, here, I'll give you an optional assignment that you may want to do this week. Um, what I'd encourage you to do is read again Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4 is that chapter where Jesus is led out into the, into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. You remember that? But as you read it this week, don't allow yourself to put Jesus as this plastic faker. You know, just a guy who's just kind of walking through those temptations, but of course he's too big and powerful to, to not give in to those. Don't, don't allow yourself to, to put Jesus in that situation, but instead see Jesus as he presents himself. See Jesus just like any other fully-fledged human being with all the emotions and weaknesses and longings of any other human being. That he really really was hungry and he was offered an easy way to take care of that and yet he chose not to give in to that temptation that he was weak and fragile and he was offered a way to take matters into his own hands and yet he did not give in to that temptation that he was dreading what was before him, the road that he knew he had to take, the choices, the things that he had set in front of him. Can you identify with that? That he was dreading that, and he was offered a way to get out of it on his own terms, and he chose not to give in to that temptation. You see, Jesus really did face very real temptations just like we do. He was fully human. Well, question number two then, maybe if you're tracking with me, is, is something like this. Well, you know, that's, that's really interesting. But so what? <laughs> Why does this really matter? Well, if you want to turn over with me to one more passage, take your Bibles or your device and turn with me to Hebrews chapter 2. We're going to look at a couple verses there at the end of chapter 2 and follow it on into chapter 3. But I think it gives us here three reasons why it matters that Jesus was fully human. N.T. Wright, who is a biblical scholar of our day, said this. He said, the humanity of Jesus is every bit as important as the divinity of Jesus. In fact, all the way back to the first century... There were heresies going around that Jesus really wasn't human. Back, clear back to the first century, there was a group called the Docetists. Docet just means seems like. And so they were called the Docetists because what they taught was that Jesus didn't actually exist in human flesh. He just sort of appeared 
to be real. That he just seemed to suffer and be tempted. And that led Ignatius, who was the bishop of Antioch in that day, a disciple of John the Apostle, to respond about the docetists and say, well, maybe they just seem to be Christians. Because Ignatius went on to declare that it did matter, because if Jesus didn't really come in the flesh, then he really wasn't born. And if Jesus wasn't really born, then he really didn't live. And if Jesus didn't really live, then he really didn't die. And if Jesus didn't really die, then he hasn't really risen again. It does matter. And so let me give you three reasons. Reason number one why this matters is that we needed a human representative to die in our place for our sin. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 5 and 6 says this, For there is one God and one mediator between God and mankind, the, you may want to circle this word, the man, Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all people. And this has now been witnessed to at the proper time. That Jesus, our human representative, sacrificed himself. He was the ransom to pay for our sins as his sacrifice on the cross. We needed a human representative to die in our place to pay for our sins. It's the same thing that the writer of the Hebrews says there in that passage. I want you to look at Hebrews chapter 2, starting in verse 17. In verse 17, the writer of Hebrews says this. He says, for this reason... He, talking about Jesus, he had to be made like them fully human in every way in order that he might become a merciful and high priest in service to God and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. That Jesus made atonement by offering himself our representative in the flesh, our sinless representative in the flesh, to pay for our sins. Listen to me, friends. The gospel that we speak of so fondly around here so often is simply this. That if you are depending upon your own good actions to be the thing that will make you acceptable to God, then you are betting on a lame horse. You can never be good enough to meet the measure of a holy God. And that is why we need a sinless substitute to die in our place, to pay for our sins that we cannot pay for ourselves. And that's what led the, 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 the hymn writer to simply put it this way, to put this question and then answer it. What can wash away our sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. You see, the good news, the gospel, is that Jesus became human in order to die in your place 
to pay the price for your sin. And so the only big question in response to that is this. Have you received him as your Savior? Have you received him as the payment for your sin? Well, if you say to me, hey, well, I'm coming to church and I'm doing my best and I'm I'm trying to live a good life, then listen to me, you aren't hearing what I'm saying. You will never be able to do enough to meet the measure of a holy, sinless God. And that is why Jesus died in your place to offer you the opportunity to be children of God only through his shed blood. The first reason why it was important, that it's significant, why it matters that Jesus became human is that we needed a human representative to die in our place to pay for our sin. Reason number two, then why it matters, is in the next verse, Hebrews chapter 2, verse 18. The writer of Hebrews goes on, and he says, because he talking about Jesus again, because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Reason number two why it matters is this, that Jesus understands what you're going through. Because Jesus wasn't faking it, he understands. He's been there. He knows what it's like. You might say to me today, but J-Man, you just don't understand. And you know what? You probably are right. I don't. Very likely I don't. But here's what I can tell you. Jesus does understand. Maybe you're thinking, but I I just feel so discouraged. Jesus was discouraged. Maybe you'd say, "But, but I'm just in so much pain. Jesus felt unimaginable pain. Maybe you're thinking, but this temptation is just so overwhelming. Jesus faced overwhelming temptation. You might be thinking, but I just feel so betrayed. Jesus was betrayed. Maybe you're thinking, but, but they just so hurt me. Jesus was hurt by the people that he loved. And on and on I could go. You see, in the midst of our struggles, there's something inside of us that wants to run from God probably out of shame. We we listen to the lie that says, but Jesus would be so disappointed in you. But the truth is, Jesus wants us to run to him. He understands. He sympathizes. He empathizes with us in the midst of whatever it is that we're going through. And if you're struggling today, let me encourage you. In just a little while, when we start to, 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 to respond back to God, that 
there'll be prayer partners on both sides. You just feel the freedom to that, to just, to just come to them and say, would you, would you pray with me? Would you pray for me? And let them just take you by the hand and take you to Jesus who understands. One more reason. Reason number three why it matters is this, that Jesus is our example of how to live an obedient life. The writer of Hebrews is, is just continuing, and he gets to the end of, of chapter 2, and he just keeps writing. You, you, you realize when the writer of Hebrews was writing this, there weren't chapter headings and verses and all of that. That came later. Verse 1 of chapter 3 is just the words that followed the last words of chapter 2. It just, it's just he's continuing his thoughts. So he gets to the, to the end of what we just read, and then he says, chapter 3, verse 1, Therefore, therefore, see, because that Jesus was our substitute that we needed, because Jesus understands. Therefore, holy brothers and sisters who share in the heavenly calling, fix your thoughts on Jesus, whom we acknowledge as our apostle and high priest. Listen to verse 2. He was faithful to the one who appointed him. He was obedient to the one who appointed him. You see, when we read a minute ago in Hebrews chapter 4 where it says that Jesus was tempted just like us, but he did not, not sin, here, here, here's what that means for us. It means that if you are in Christ today, then you have been freed from the power of sin. Yes, you are going to be tempted to sin, but here's the good news, you don't have to. Say, well, how, how can I resist? Well, you can resist just the same way that Jesus did. By relying on the power of the Holy Spirit to help you say no to that opportunity to sin. Yes, we live in a broken world. Yes, my flesh is often very weak. And yes, the arguments that my mind throws at me are very persuasive. But I can say yes to God and no to sin. Not in my own power, but in the power of the Holy Spirit, just like Jesus relied on that power. And so let me ask you, what, what action, what habit, what behavior right now is eating your lunch? Here's what I want you to know about that. That if you are in Christ, you have been freed from that sin's power over you. Now, maybe you've given it power again, but that can change. And the way it changes is by just praying it to Jesus. And so why don't you do that today? Again, pray with a prayer partner, or, or listen to me, talk to someone in your small group. You understand, don't you, that sin thrives when it stays hidden. So get it out there, get it into the light where the power of Jesus can, 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 can come into that situation and you can rely, just like Jesus did, on the power of the Holy Spirit to walk in obedience. 
to God and his ways. Now let me give you just one little aside here. And that is part of Jesus' mission was to do signs and wonders. And so I'm not suggesting that you can simply rely on the Holy Spirit to walk on water this afternoon down at Creekside. You can try it. I wouldn't recommend it, though. But here's what I do know. You can rely on the power of the Holy Spirit to live obediently to God. I know that is his mission for you and for me. And so just as Jesus relied on the Holy Spirit, his example to us is that we can rely on the Holy Spirit. It matters that Jesus was human because he is our example of what it means to walk in obedience, in faithfulness to what God would have us do. Well, I thought we should close with our confession. Very often in our celebration times, we do a confession together. And so our confession today is actually words written by Ignatius. Remember, I quoted Ignatius a minute ago. He was, in the first century, he was, um, he was the bishop of Antioch, which meant the head of the church there in Antioch, and he was a disciple of John the Apostle. And uh, he wrote uh, these words that I thought we should confess together, we, we should declare together. And so I want to invite you to stand with me. We're going to read it. The words will be on the screen. It's a long Uh, declaration, confession, and I'll try to read slow enough so that you can keep up with me. But I want to invite you to to not just merely say these words with your mouth, but let these words represent the truth that you believe in your head and that you claim in your heart. This is what Christians have believed for 2,000 years. And so let's declare this together. Let's make this our declaration and confession together this morning. Read with me. But as for me... I do not place my hopes in one who died for me in appearance, but in reality. For that which is false is quite abhorrent to the truth. Mary then did truly conceive a body which had God inhabiting it. And God the Word was truly born of the Virgin, having clothed himself with a body of a like passions with our own. He who forms all men in the womb was himself really in the womb and made for himself a body of the seed of the virgin, but without any intercourse of man. He was carried in the womb even as we are for the usual period of time and was really born as we also are and was in reality nourished with milk and partook of common meat and drink, even as we do. And when he had lived among men for 30 years, he was baptized by John, really, and not in appearance. And when he had preached the gospel three years, and done signs and wonders, he who was himself the judge was judged by the Jews, falsely so-called, and by Pilate the governor, was scourged, was smitten on the cheek, was smit upon. He wore a crown of thorns and a purple robe. He was condemned. He was crucified in reality and not in appearance, not in imagination, not in deceit. He really died and was buried 
and rose from the dead. Amen? Well, let's continue to worship this Jesus. And let's sing about that price that he paid when he was really crucified for us on the cross. And if you would benefit from prayer this morning, you just feel the freedom as we're singing, as we're worshiping, as we continue to declare, you come to one of these prayer partners. Let's worship together.